Chapter Twenty Two of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Carew, happening to be in the city of Wells in Somersetshire on a Sunday, was told that the bishop was to preach that morning. Upon which he slips on a black waistcoat and morning gown and went out to meet the bishop as he was walking in procession and addressed himself to his lordship as a poor unhappy man whose misfortunes had turned his brain which the bishop hearing gave him five shillings from wells he steered to bridgewater but did not appear in the daytime and went only in the evenings upon his crutches as a poor lame man not being known by any one till he discovered himself having heard that young lord clifford his first cousin who had just returned from his travels abroad was at his seat in callington about four miles from bridgewater he resolved to pay him a visit in his way thither resided parson c who being one whom nature had made up in a hurry without a heart mr carew had never been able to obtain anything of him even under the most moving appearance of distress but a cup of small drink stopping now in his way he found the parson was gone to lord clifford's but being saluted at the door by a fine black spaniel with almost as much crustiness as he would have been had his master been at home he thought himself under no stronger obligation of observing the strict laws of honour than the parson did of hospitality and therefore soon charmed the crossness of the spaniel and made him follow him to bridgewater for it is very remarkable that the art has been found of taming the most savage and ill-natured brutes which is generally attended with success but it requires a much higher skill and is but seldom successful to soften the ill-nature and inhumanity of man whether it is that the brutes are more capable of receiving instruction or whether the ill-nature of man exceeds that of the brutes we cannot well determine having secured the spaniel and passed the night merrily in bridgewater he set out the next morning for lord clifford's and in his way called upon the parson again who very crustily told him he had lost his dog and supposed some of his gang had stolen him to which mr carew very calmly replied what was he to his dog or what was his dog to him if he would make him drink it was well for he was very dry at last with the use of much rhetoric he got a cup of small drink then taking leave of him he went to the red lion in the same parish where he stayed some time in the meantime down ran the parson to my lord clifford's to acquaint him that mr carew was in the parish and to advise him to take care of his dogs so that mr carew coming down immediately after found a servant with one dog in his arms and another with another here one stood whistling and another calling and both my lord and his brother were running about to seek after their favourites mr carew asked my lord what was the meaning of this hurry and if his dogs were cripples because he saw several carried in the serpent's arms adding he hoped his lordship did not imagine he was come to steal any of them upon which his lordship told him that parson c had advised him to be careful as he had lost his spaniel but the day before it may be so replied he the parson knows but little of me or the laws of our community if he is ignorant that with us ingratitude is unknown and the property of our friends always sacred his lordship hearing this entertained him very handsomely 
and both himself and his brother made him a present there being about this time a great fair at bridgewater in the county of somerset our hero appeared there upon crutches as a poor miserable cripple in company with many of his subjects that were full as unfortunate as himself some blind some deaf some dumb etc among whom were his old friends and schoolfellows martin escott and coleman the mayor of that corporation a bitter enemy to their community jocosely said that he would make the blind see the deaf hear and the lame walk and by way of preparation or beginning to this intended cure he had them all apprehended and confined in a dark hole which greatly terrified them with the apprehension of severe punishment after one night's repose in limbo he sent a physician or surgeon of most profound skill and judgment to them who brought the keys of their melancholy apartments and pretending greatly to befriend them advised them if there were any of them counterfeits to make haste out of the town or otherwise they must expect no mercy from the mayor unknown to whom he had privately stolen the keys then unlocking the door forth issued the disabled and infirm prisoners the lame threw aside their crutches and artificial legs and made an exceeding good use of their natural ones the blind made shift to see the way out of town and the deaf themselves with great attention hearkened to this their friend and followed his advice with all possible speed the mayor with the aldermen and several gentlemen planted themselves opposite to the prison and were spectators to this diverting scene calling out to stop them not with an intention to do them any prejudice but only of adding a spur to their speed however there were some who were ready enough to lay hold on them and our hero in a struggle of this nature left a skirt of his garment behind him which might be done without much violence as we may reasonably conclude it to have been none of the soundest and coleman was so closely pursued that he plunged into the river and swam to the opposite shore in short so well did these cripples ply their limbs that none of them could be taken excepting a real object a lame man who in spite of the fear and consternation he was in could not mend his decrepit pace he therefore was brought before the mayor who after slightly rebuking him for his vagrant course of life ordered him to be relieved in a very plentiful and generous manner and the whole corporation was exceeding kind to him one method of gaining his ends our hero had peculiar to himself he used with great intent to read the inscriptions on tombs and monuments in churchyards and when the deceased person had a character for piety and charity he would with the greatest importunity apply to his or her surviving relations and if they refused an alms he would in the most moving terms imaginable implore their charity for the sake of their deceased relation praying they would follow the laudable and virtuous example of their dead husband wife father mother or the like hoping there was the same god the same spirit of piety religion and charity still dwelling in the house as before the death of the person deceased these and the like expressions uttered in a most suppliant and pathetic voice used to extort not only very handsome contributions but tears from the person to whom he applied 
some time after this he engaged at burton in somersetshire in the habit and character of a seaman cast away in coming from newfoundland with a captain who by his great severity had rendered himself the terror of all the mendicant order but he relying upon his perfect acquaintance with the country ventured up to him had the best entertainment his house afforded and was honourably dismissed with a considerable piece of money captains h h and n n with both of whom our hero had sailed were intimate acquaintances of this captain of whom he asked many questions and also about newfoundland which country trade he had used the most part of the time to all which questions he gave very satisfactory answers this captain had detected so many impostors that he concluded they were all so but not being able to find mr carew in any one error he was very proud of it pitied and relieved him in an extraordinary manner went with him himself to the principal people of the town wrote him letters of recommendation to his distant relations and friends that lay in his road and acted with such extraordinary kindness as if he thought he could never do enough it is to be remarked that he passed rather for a passenger than a seaman in the same town lived lord b y who had a son who was captain of the antelope man-of-war stationed in the west indies and who died on the passage mr carew informed himself of every circumstance relating thereto and made it his business to meet his lordship as he came out of church after his first application he gave his lordship to understand that he was a spectator of the burial of his son on board the antelope at the same time came up this critical captain who gave him the character of a man of great veracity so that his lordship gave him a guinea his eldest son five shillings and also good entertainment from the house this happened to be a fair day he thereupon going into the town was accosted by an apothecary who whispered him in the ear saying that he knew him to be the famous bamfield moore carew and had most grossly imposed upon the captain and the town but at the same time assured him that he would not injure him but faithfully keep the secret in the meantime there was an irish quack doctor in view who had gathered the whole market around him and who with more strength of lungs than sense of argument most loudly harangued entertaining them in a very florid manner with the sovereign virtues of his pills plasters and self and so far did he impose upon them as to vend his packets pretty plentifully which the apothecary could not forbear beholding with an envious eye and jocularly asked mr carew if he could not help him to some revenge upon this dangerous rival and antagonist of his which he promised him to do effectually accordingly he got a little phial and filled it up with the spirits of turpentine he then mixed in with the gaping auditory of this irish itinerant physician who was in the midst of them mounted on his steed adorned with a pompous curb-bridle with a large parcel of all curing medicines in his bags behind him and was with a great deal of confidence and success escalapius like distributing health around him we must observe that our physician had taken his stand among the stalls of orange and gingerbread merchants shoemakers glovers and other such retailers 
Mr. Carew therefore approached him and planted himself close by the horse, and wetting his fingers with the spirits, rested his hand upon the steed, as an unconcerned person might have done. At the same time putting aside the hair, he rubbed the turpentine upon the bare flesh, which immediately beginning to burn and smart, the afflicted quadruped began to express his sense of pain by flinging his hinder legs, gently shaking himself, and other restless motions which made the poor mountebank wonder what had befallen his horse. But the pain increasing, the disorderly behavior of the steed increased proportionably, who now began to kick, prance, stand on end, nay, immoderately shake himself, utterly disregarding both his bridle and rider, and running a tilt against the stalls of oranges, gingerbread, gloves, breeches, shoes, etc., which he overthrew and trampled under foot. This occasioned a scramble among the boys for the eatables, and there were some who were but too unmerciful to the scattered goods of the poor shoemakers and glovers, who, enraged by their several losses, began to curse the doctor and his Rosinante, who was all this while capering, roaring, and dancing among their oranges, panniers of eggs, etc., to the entire ruin of the hucksters, who now began to deal very heavy blows both on the unfortunate horse and his distressed master. This odd spectacle and adventure attracted the eyes and attention of the whole fair, which was all in an uproar, some laughing, some crying, particularly the poor suffering peddlers, some fighting and others most unmercifully cursing and swearing. To make short the story, the doctor rode about the fair, without either hat or wig, at the pleasure and discretion of his horse. Among the ruined and overturned stalls and the dissipated mob, who concluded both the quack and the steed to be either mad or bewitched, and enjoyed their frolicsome situation. The doctor, being no longer able to keep his seat, fell headlong into the miry street. The horse ran into a river, and rolled himself over several times, to the entire confusion and ruin of the inestimable pills and plasters. The doctor employed a good farrier, and after some time the horse came to himself again. The reader may very easily judge what glorious diversion this was for the apothecary and Mr. Carew, who were spectators of the whole scene. He was treated handsomely upon this account, not only by the apothecary, but all others of the same profession in the town, and several other gentlemen. Upon Mr. Carew's departure from Burton, the generous captain befriended him with many recommendatory letters to friends and acquaintance that lay in his road, as he pretended, nay, indeed, he was never out of it. Thence he proceeded to Bristol and other places where the letters were directed to, and received considerable sums of money from many on account of these letters, which were mostly to captains of vessels and gentlemen that had been at sea, with whom he several times passed muster very well, it being by desire of the captain, as was mentioned in the letters, that they examined him. Sometimes he and his wife, in conjunction with Coleman and his wife, being all dressed genteely, passed for gypsies of extraordinary knowledge and reputation. Many a poor, credulous, unsuspecting person became their prey, and many a good booty they got in almost every town of the counties of Cornwall and Devon. Once in particular himself and Coleman, 
with both their spouses being in buckfordsley near exeter one mr collard a wealthy but simple shoemaker came to their quarters to consult them on a very intricate and important affair he told them that it was the opinion of everybody in the country that his grandmother had somewhere concealed very large sums of money before her death and that himself by several dreams was confirmed in the same opinion and that he thought proper to advise with them upon the affair not doubting but they by the help of their profound learning and knowledge for which they were so famous through the west were capable of informing him in what particular place he might find this particular treasure which if they would discover to him he would give them thirty guineas our magicians after long deliberation and consultation with their books told him that if he would that night take a walk with one of them he would see the spirit of his grandmother that he must not be afraid of the apparition but follow it till it vanished away and in that individual spot of ground from which the ghost vanished there he would find the hidden treasure in order for the execution of this scheme coleman put a woman's cap on his head washed his face and sprinkled meal on it while wet stuck the broken pieces of a tobacco pipe between his teeth and wrapping his body in a white sheet planted himself in the road that collard and mr carew were to come the moon at this time shone very bright which gave an additional horror to the pretended spectre our hero by virtue of his supposed profound learning and most mysterious science spoke to it in an unknown language to the following effect high wood bush rumley to the toggy call and ogle him in the muns at which command the terrific hobgoblin fiercely advanced up to poor collard and with a most ghastly look stared him in the face the shoemaker was greatly terrified thereat and shook and trembled as if a fit of the ague had been upon him and creeping close to mr carew laid fast hold of his clothes imagining he had sufficient power to protect him from the threatening appearance of this insolent apparition whereupon he bid the ghost hike to the vial and would have persuaded the frightened collard to have followed his departing grandmother in order to observe the particular place from which she vanished but no persuasions of his could induce him to move from his side they then returned to the alehouse they had left and mr carew this method of conjuration miscarrying through the shoemaker's fear cast a figure and informed crispin that if he took up two or three planks of the floor of this little parlour he would there find the concealed treasure at the depth of about three or four feet upon his hearing this joyful news the shoemaker instantly disbursed the thirty guineas highly extolling them as people of the profoundest skill that he had ever heard of or conversed with but whether he was of the same opinion when he came to dig for the treasure we will not take upon us to say but we may suppose the contrary happening a short time after this to be in breakness near lymington in the character of a castaway seaman he went to the house of mr joseph hayes an eminent and wealthy presbyterian parson of whom he begged relief in the most earnest manner he was able for god's sake with uplifted eyes and hands and upon his bended knee 
but could not with all his importunity and eloquence obtain a crust of bread or a draught of small beer mr carew not accustomed to be unsuccessful in his applications could by no means brook this churlishness of the parson and thought it highly necessary for the benefit of his community that it should not go unpunished he was a great sportsman and had two fine greyhounds the one named hector the other fly and two excellent spaniels cupid and dido and an admirable setting-dog called sancho our hero therefore about twelve o'clock on the same night paid a second visit to the parson's house and brought away all these fine dogs with him and afterwards he sent a letter to the parson to this purpose reverend sir you err if you suspect yourself to have been wronged of your dogs by any of your neighbours the castaway seamen who begged so earnestly for the love of god to whom you would not vouchsafe a crust of bread or a draught of small beer took them away to teach you another time to behave to unfortunate strangers more as becomes your profession and your plentiful circumstances the mayor of weymouth in dorsetshire fared little better at his hands this gentleman was an implacable enemy to all mr carew's subjects he therefore happening to be in that town and overhearing the mare talking to a gentleman in the street and saying that he was going to dine with captain colloway of upton he thought this a proper opportunity for taking some revenge of the mare for the many indignities he had put on his subjects having soon got intelligence what suits of clothes the mare had and understanding he had a good snuff-coloured suit he went to his house and informed the lady mayoress that he was a seaman under misfortunes had met with the mayor as he was going to dinner at captain colloway's of upton and his honour had sent him to her giving him orders to receive his snuff-coloured suit of clothes from her which the good-natured gentlewoman hearing without the least scruple quickly brought him the coat waistcoat and breeches thus our hero by turning his natural ingenuity to account procured a handsome suit of clothes while at the same time he was revenging himself upon his enemy fulfilling the old proverb of killing two dogs with one stone it is unnecessary to say that our hero departed from weymouth forthwith mr carew being in bristol at a time when there was a hot press wherein they not only impressed seamen but able-bodied landmen they could anywhere meet with which made some fly one way and some another putting the city into a great rout and consternation he among the rest knowing himself to have a body of rather a dangerous bigness he was willing to secure himself as effectually as he possibly could greatly preferring his own ease to the interest and honour of his king he therefore set his wife and landlady to work who with all speed and proper attention to cleanliness made a great number of small mutton pies plum puddings cheesecakes and custards which our hero in the ordinary attire of a female vendor of these commodities hawked about the city crying plum pudding plum pudding plum pudding hot plum pudding piping hot smoking hot hot plum pudding plum pudding echoed in every street and corner even in the midst of the eager press-gang 
some of whom spent their penny with this masculine pie-woman and seldom failed to serenade her with many a complimentary title such as bitch and whore arriving at squire rhodes seat near kingsbridge in devonshire and knowing the squire had married a dorsetshire lady he thought proper also to become a dorsetshire man and of lyme which was the place of the lady's nativity and applied himself to the squire and his lady whom he met both together giving them to understand that he was lost in a vessel belonging to lyme the squire and his lady gave him five shillings each for country's sake and entertained him very well at their own house this was early in the forenoon and he wished to put off his time a little before proceeding upon another adventure going from hence he went to a public-house called mauston cross about a quarter of a mile from the squire's he there fell into company with squire reynolds squire ford dr rhodes brother to the squire and several other gentlemen who were met there to make happy after a hunting match in which they had been uncommonly successful and were much inclined to be jovial in the afternoon there was a terrific storm of rain thunder and lightning that continued with great violence for several hours in the midst of this tempestuous weather he having a great mind to clear his afternoon's expenses stripped off all his apparel except his nightcap shoes and breeches and went to squire rhodes nothing could possibly look with a more deplorable appearance than this naked and wretched spectacle in such dreadful weather the landlord with pity regarding his destitute appearance fetched him a shirt as he thought to cover his nakedness but upon his endeavouring to put it on it proved to be a smock belonging to the good woman of the house which afforded a great deal of diversion to the good squire and his benevolent lady who happened to be looking from their window enjoying the mistake when calling to him and inquiring from whence he came he pretended to have been cast away at bigbury bay during the late violent tempest in a vessel belonging to poole and he was the only person on board that had escaped squire rhodes ordered a fine holland shirt and a suit of good clothes to be given to him as also a hearty refreshing dram and then kindly giving him five shillings dismissed him with every mark of commiseration for his unfortunate condition not in the least suspecting him to be the poor lime man whom both his lady and himself had been so generous in relieving his wants in the morning having succeeded so much to his satisfaction in levying two contributions in one day on the benevolent squire rhodes and his lady he quickly determined on making another trial upon their good nature for which purpose he retired to the nearest house which was frequented by the members of his community where he dressed himself as a farmer and speedily returned to the squire's to whose presence he was admitted he stated that he had been a tenant on the estate of squire h a gentleman between whom and squire rhodes he knew there was a disagreement of long standing for many years where he had reared a numerous and happy family in respectability that about three years ago the squire had seduced his eldest daughter a handsome girl of eighteen years who died in giving birth to a stillborn son that his wife had died shortly after of a broken heart and he was left to struggle through the world with a helpless family of young children 
that through bad crops and bad debts he had fallen in arrears of his rent and his cruel landlord had seized upon his whole stock and turned him out of his favourite home to become a destitute wanderer destitute of food shelter or clothing for himself and family the benevolent squire rhodes whose ear was ever open to the tale of pity whose heart was ever ready to relieve the unfortunate after venting many imprecations on the hard-hearted squire bestowed a guinea on the poor farmer having obtained this third contribution from the unsuspecting squire he returned to the public-house where the gentlemen waited for him for they were the principal occasion of this last adventure and being informed how he had fared diverted themselves exceedingly with the stratagem and shortly after meeting with squire rhodes they discovered the various impositions that had been practised upon him and very heartily bantered him thereupon some time after this mr carew exercising his profession at modbury where squire rhodes father lived among other houses made his application at legassics where he by chance was visiting mr carew knocked at the kitchen door which being opened he saw his old friend the squire who was then alone and in a careless manner swinging his cane about as soon as he began to tell his lamentable tale mr rhodes said i was three times in one day imposed on by that rogue bamfield moore carew to whose gang you may very likely belong furthermore i do not live here but am a stranger meantime in comes mr legassick with a bottle of wine in his hand giving mr carew a private wink to let him understand that he knew him and then very gravely inquired into the circumstances of his misfortune as also of the affairs and inhabitants of dartmouth from whence he pretended to have sailed several times of all which he gave a full and particular account upon which mr legassick gave him five shillings and recommended him as a real object to mr rhodes who also made the same present upon which mr legassick burst out laughing and being asked the reason thereof he could not forbear telling him even in mr carew's presence when mr rhodes finding himself a fourth time imposed upon by the same person with a great deal of good-nature made himself very merry therewith mr carew being now advanced in years and his strength beginning to fail he was seized with a violent fever which confined him to his bed for several weeks on recovering he reflected how idly he had spent his life and came to the resolution of resigning the egyptian sceptre the assembly finding him determined reluctantly complied and he departed amidst the applause as well as the regrets of his subjects who despaired of ever again having such a king our hero returned home to the place of his nativity but finding the air of the town not rightly to agree with him and the death of some of his relations rendering his circumstances quite easy he retired to the west country where he purchased a neat cottage which he embellished in a handsome style and lived in a manner becoming a good old english gentleman respected by his neighbours and beloved by the poor to whom his doors were ever open here he died full of years and honours regretted by all having left his daughter a handsome fortune she was married to a neighbouring gentleman of good family 
by whom she had a numerous family of promising children we shall now conclude our true history by observing that we consider mr carew to have as good a claim to fame and immortality as any of the heroes of the present age we acknowledge he had his faults but everybody knows a perfect character is quite out of fashion and that the authors of the present age hold it as an absurdity to draw even a fictitious hero without an abundance of faults End of chapter 22